0: Chapter Twenty-Three of *The Wanderer*, or Female Difficulties. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. *The Wanderer*, or Female Difficulties by Fanny Burney. Chapter Forty-Three. Left thus to herself and devoted to incessant work, Juliet next had the vexation to learn how inadequate for entering into any species of business was a mere knowledge of its theory. She had concluded that, in consecrating her time and her labours to so simple an employment as needlework, she secured herself a certain, though an hardly earned, maintenance. But, as her orders became more extensive, she found that neither talents for what she undertook, nor even patronage to bring them into notice, was sufficient. A capital also was requisite, for the purchase of frames, patterns, silver and gold threads, spangles, and various other articles, to procure which she was forced, in the very commencement of her new career, again to run in debt. "'Alas!' she cried." Where business is not necessary to subsistence, how little do we know, believe, or even conceive its various difficulties? Imagination may paint enjoyments, but labours and hardships can be judged only from experience. She was equally, also, unprepared for continual and vexatious delays of payment. Her work was frequently, when best executed, or set apart for some distant occasion and forgotten, or received and worn with no retribution but by promise. Even the few, who possessed more consideration, seemed to estimate her time and her toil as nothing, because she was brought forward by recommendation, and to pay debts of common justice with the parade of generosity. Yet vanity and false reasoning set apart, The ladies for whom she worked were neither hard of heart nor illiberal, but they had never known distress, and were too light and unreflecting to weigh the circumstances by which it might be produced or prevented. To save time, and obviate innumerable mortifications, Juliet at first employed a commissioner to carry home her work, and to deliver her bills, but he returned always with empty messages, that if Miss Ellis would call herself, she should be paid. Yet when, with whatever reluctance, she complied, she was ordinarily condemned to wait in passages, or antechambers, for whole hours, and even whole mornings, which were commonly ended by an excuse, through a footman, or lady's maid, that lady or miss such a one was too much engaged, or too much indisposed, to see her till the next day. The next day, when, with renewed expectation, she again presented herself, the same scene was re-acted, though the passing to and fro of various comers and goers, proved that it was only to herself her fair creditor was invisible. Nevertheless, if she mentioned that she had some pattern, or some piece of work, finished for any other lady to exhibit, she was immediately admitted, though still, with regard to payment, she was desired to call again in the evening, or the next morning, with a new bill, her old one happening, unluckily, to be always lost or mislaid, and not seldom, while stopping in an ante-room, to arrange her packages, she heard exclamations of, "'How amazingly tiresome is that Miss Ellis, pestering one so always for her money!' "'Is it possible,' thought Juliet, "'that common humanity—' Nay, common sense will not tell these careless triflers that their complaint is a lampoon upon themselves. Will no reflection, no feeling point out to them that the time which they thus unmercifully waste in humiliating attendance, however to themselves it may be a plaything, if not a drug, is, to those who subsist but by their use of it, shelter, clothing, and nourishment, if sometimes, in the hope of exciting more attention from this dissipated set, she ventured to drop a mournful hint that she was a novice to this hard kind of life, the warm compassion that seemed rapidly kindled raised expectations of immediate assistance, but the emotion, though good, took a direction that made it useless. It merely played about in exclamations of pity, then blazoned into curiosity, vented itself in questions, and evaporated. She soon, therefore, ceased all attempt to obtain regard through personal representations, feeling yet more mortified to be left in passages, or recommended to domestics, after avowing that her lonely state was the effect of misfortune, than while she permitted it to be presumed, that she had nothing to brook but what she had been born and bred to bear. Some, indeed, while leaving their own just debts unpaid and unnoticed, would have collected, from their friends, a few straggling half-crowns. But, when Juliet, declining such aid, modestly solicited her right, they capitiously disputed a bill which had been charged by the strictest necessity, or offered half what they would have dared propose to any ordinary and hired day-jobber and whatever admiration they bestowed upon the taste and execution of work prepared for others, all that she finished for themselves, was received with that wary precursor of undervaluing its price, contempt, and looked over with fault-finding eyes and unmeaning criticism. Yet, if the following day, or even the following hour, some sudden invitation to a brilliant assembly, made any of these ladies require her services, They would give their orders with caressing solicitations for speed, rush familiarly into her room, three or four times a day, to see how she went on, supplicate her to touching nothing for any other human being, load her with professions of regard, confound her with hurrying entreaties, shake her by the hand, tap her on the shoulder, call her the best of souls, assure her of their eternal gratitude and torment her out of any time for sleep or food. Yet the occasion passed, and the work seen and worn, it was thought of no more. Her pains and exertions, their promises and fondness, sunk into the same oblivion, and the commonest and most inadequate pay was murmured at, if not contested. Now and then, however, she was surprised by sudden starts of kindness, and hasty inquiries, eagerly made, though scarcely demanding any answer, into her situation and affairs, followed by drawing her, with an air of confidence, into a dressing-room or closet. But there, when prepared for some mark of favour or esteem, she was only asked, in a mysterious whisper, whether she could procure any cheap foreign lace or French gloves, or whether she could get over from France any particularly delicate paste for the hands." To ladies, and to behavior of this caste, there were, however, exceptions, especially amongst the residents of the place and its neighborhood, who were not there, like the visitors, for dissipation or irregular extravagance, that, alternately, causes money to be loosely squandered and meanly held back. But this better sort was rare, and sufficed not to supply employment to Juliet for her maintenance though the most parsimonious nor were there any amongst them that had the leisure or the discernment to discover that her mind both required and merited succour as much as her circumstances yet there was the seed of what she had most to endure and found hardest to sustain her short but precious junction with her gabriella gave poignancy to every latent regret and added disgust to her solitary toil thoughts uncommunicated ideas unexchanged fears unrevealed and sorrows unparticipated infused a heaviness into her existence that not all her activity in business could conquer while slackness of pay by rendering the result of her labours distant and precarious robbed her industry of cheerfulness and her exertions of hope With an ardent love of elegant social intercourse, she was doomed to pass her lonely days in a room that no sound of kindness ever cheered. With enthusiastic admiration of the beauties of nature, she was denied all prospect, but of the coarse red tilings of opposite attics. With an innate taste for the fine arts, she was forced to exist as completely out of their view or knowledge as if she had been an inhabitant of some uncivilized country, and fellow-feeling, that most powerful master of philanthropy, now taught her to pity the lamentations of seclusion from the world, that she had hitherto often condemned as weak and frivolous, since now, though with time always occupied, and a mind fully stored, she had the bitter self-experience of the weight of solitude without books, and of the gloom of retirement without a friend." During this period the only notice that she attracted was that of a gouty old gentleman whom she frequently met upon the stairs, when forced to mount or descend them in pursuit of her fair heedless creditors. She soon found, by the manner in which he entered or quitted at pleasure, the apartment that she had recently given up, that he was her successor. He was evidently struck by her beauty, and, upon their first meeting— looked earnestly after her till she was out of sight, and then descended into the shop to inquire who she was of Miss Matson. Miss Matson, always perplexed what to think of her, gave so indefinite, yet so extraordinary, an account, that he eagerly awaited an opportunity of seeing her again. Added examination was less calculated to diminish curiosity than to change it into pleasure and interest and soon, during whole hours together, he perseveringly watched upon the landing-places for the moments of her going out or coming back to the house, that, while smiling and bowing to her as she passed, he might obtain yet another, and another view, of so singular and so lovely an incognita. As he annexed no fixed idea himself to this assiduity, he impressed none upon Juliet who, though she could not but observe it, had a mind too much occupied within, for that mental listlessness that applies for thoughts, conjectures, or adventures from without. Soon, however, becoming anxious to behold her nearer, and, soon after, to behold her longer, he contrived to place himself so as somewhat to obstruct, though not positively to impede, her passage." The modest courtesy which she gave to his age, when, upon her approach, he made way for her, he pleased himself by attributing to his palpable admiration, and his bow, which had always been polite, became obsequious, and his smile, which had always spoken pleasure, displayed enchantment. Still, however, there was nothing to alarm, and little to engage the attention of Juliet, for though ostentatiously gallant, he was scrupulously decorous. His manners and deportment were old-fashioned, but graceful and gentlemanlike, and his eyes, though they had lost their brilliancy, were still quick, scrutinizing, and, where not softened by female attractions, severe. One day, upon her return from a fruitless expedition, as fearfully, while ascending the stairs, she opened a paper that had just been delivered to her in the shop, her deeply absorbed and perplexed air, and the sigh with which she looked at its contents, induced him, with heightened interest, to attempt following her, that he might make some inquiry into her situation. He had discerned, as she passed, that what she held was a bill. He could not doubt her poverty from her change of apartment, and he wished to offer her some assistance. But finding that he had no chance of overtaking her, before she reached her chamber he gently called young lady and begged that she would stop with that alacrity of youthful purity which is ever disposed to consider age and virtue as one she not only complied but seeing the difficulty with which he mounted the stairs respected his infirmities and descended herself to meet him and hear his business to a younger man or to one less experienced or less sagacious, this action might have appeared the effect of forwardness, of ignorance, or of levity. But to a man of the world, hackneyed in its ways, and penetrating into the motivations by which it is ordinarily influenced, it seemed the result of innocence without suspicion. Yet of an innocence to which her air and manner gave a dignity that destroyed, in its birth, all interpretation to her disadvantage." His purse, therefore, which already he held in his hand, he felt must be offered with more delicacy than he had at first supposed to be necessary, and, though he was by no means a man apt to be embarrassed, he hesitated, for a moment, how to address a forlorn young stranger. That moment, however, sufficed to determine him, upon making an apology, with the most marked respect for the liberty which he had taken in claiming her attention. The look with which she listened rewarded his judgment. It expressed the gratitude of feelings, to which politeness was a pleasure, but not a novelty. "'I think... I understand, ma'am,' he then said, "'you are the lady who inhabited the apartment to which, most unworthily, I have succeeded.' Juliet bowed. I am truly concerned, ma'am, at a mistake so preposterous in our destinies, so diametrically in opposition to our merits, as that which immures so much beauty and grace, which every one must wish to behold in the attics, while so worn out and good for nothing an old fellow as I am, from whom everybody must wish to turn their eyes, is perched full in front precisely on the very spot so every way your superior do. Whatever wicked elf has done this deed, I confess myself heartily ashamed of my share in its operation, and humbly ready, should any better genius come amongst us, with a view to putting things into their proper places, to agree, either that you should be lodged in the face of day in the drawing-room, and I be jammed out of sight in the garret, Or, that you should become gouty and decrepit, and I grow suddenly young and beautiful. Juliet could not but smile, yet waited some explanation without speaking. Charmed with the smile, which his own rigid features immediately caught, I have so frequently, he continued, pondered and ruminated upon the good which those little aerial beings I speak of might do, and the wrongs which they might redress were they permitted to visit us, now and then, as we read of their doing in days of yore, that sometimes I dream while wide awake, and I fancy I see them, and feel myself at the mercy of their antic corrections, or receive courteous presents, or wholesome advice. Just this moment, as you were passing, methought one of them appeared to me. Juliet, surprised, involuntarily looked around, and had said to me, Whence happens it, my worthy antique, that you grow as covetous as you are rich? Bear for your pains the punishment due to a miser of receiving money that you must not hoard, and of presenting with your own avaricious hand this purse to the fair young creature whose dwelling you have usurped, yet who resides nearest to those she most resembles, the gods and goddesses. With these words, and a low bow, he would have put his purse into her hand, but upon her starting back it dropped at her feet. Surprised, yet touched, as well as amused, by a turn so unexpectedly to his pleasantry, Juliet, gracefully restoring, though firmly declining his offer, uttered her thanks for the kindness of his intentions, with the sweetness so unsuspicious of evil, that they separated with as strong an impression of wonder upon his part, as upon hers of gratitude." Anxious to relieve the perplexity thus excited, and to settle his opinion, he continued to watch, but could not again address her, for aware now of his purpose, she fled down, or darted upstairs stairs, with a swiftness that defied pursuit, yet with a passing courtesy that marked respectful remembrance. Thus, in a life of solitary hardship, with no intermission but for mortifying disappointment, passed nearly three weeks, when Juliet found, with affright and astonishment, that all orders for work seemed at an end. It was no longer the season for Bright whose visitors were only accidental stragglers, that, here to-day and gone to-morrow, had neither care nor leisure but for rambling and amusement. The residents, though by no means inconsiderable, were soon served— for Eleanor was removed to lose, and her influence was lost with her presence. Some new measure, therefore, for procuring employment, became necessary, and Juliet, once more, was reduced to make application to Miss Matson. In passing, therefore, one morning through the shop, with some work prepared for carrying home, she stopped to open upon the subject, but the appearance of Miss Biddle at the door induced her, with an hasty apology, to make an abrupt retreat, that she might avoid an encounter which, with that lady, was always irksome, if not painful, from her unconstrained curiosity, joined to the grossness of her conceptions and remarks. End of chapter 43 Recording by Roxana Nazari